I'm Sam Seitels, and you are listening to The Pillars of Hamilton. First off, I want to remind you, the morning, April 2nd, show up at Reed. Show up in my yard, because you know what you'll get? You will get food, games, prizes, raffles, egg hunts, and a whole lot more. We are raising money for JDRF because we want to put an end to childhood diabetes. Tickets are only $5 a kid. So please bring the kids, bring the whole family, and we will see you here at Reed the morning of April 2nd. Also, another reminder, if you like this show and you want to get notifications each time an episode drops, go ahead, hit that like and subscribe button. My guest today is Jennifer Gordon. Jennifer Gordon is a passionate dancer and dance instructor. She has gone through a host of obstacles to get to where she is today, and her story is amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the very awesome Jennifer Gordon. You're listening to the Pillars of Hamilton. That's with me, Sam Sidetells. And you want to know what I'm going to give them? Only the finest that Hamilton has to offer. The biggest blueberries you've ever seen, baby. And they're all here right now. Very unusual circumstances what brought my guest here today. Because I've done many hundreds of interviews at this point. But this happens to be someone that I learned about through my wife's interview. Uh, Miss Lisa was doing, for the art club, she was doing like a, a, what was it about again? It was uh, Hamilton's Third Thursday Celebrating Women. Oh, it was the women's. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's why I was not there. And so my wife took over. She smashed it. Am I right, Jennifer? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But listen, when I was listening to your story... Not just listening. I was seeing your emotion through, because it was through a video. All I could think about was, like, I need to have her on my show. I mean, your story is pretty incredible. It's a little wild. It's it's wild. And I, I always bring people on, show, on the show who uh, do great things for kids. Obviously, I'm very passionate about education. but And I would have brought you on anyway. <laughs> but, like, your story that... From beginning to end, it seems like, beginning until now, the present is just phenomenal. So I just want to say this to, 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 to prep people for what's coming later. So Jennifer, she teaches the youth dance, and she does, she does an amazing job from what I've seen. But that's not what I want to start off with. You, um, you have gone through, in your life, a host of medical issues, I have had a doctor tell me that uh, God had to field day making me, and I turned around and said, well, at least I broke the mold. <laughs> no doubt. So, uh, a, or if anybody would have it, a genetic cesspool, if you will. A genetic cesspool. <laughs> a genetic cesspool. That sounds like the <laughs> name of a metal band or something. Not a bad one. <laughs> so how did that all start? Were you born, because I know uh, well, you've had surgery on your brain, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um what was the first issue you had to live with and deal with and overcome? Uh, well, the day I was born, uh, my mom, I opened my eyes, look at my mom, and she says, there's something wrong with her eyes. And she said to the doctor, it looks like there's a snowflake in there. 
As it turned out, I was born with a congenital cataract in my right eye, and the entire eye itself was smaller. And, you know, way back many decades ago, it wasn't a very common thing that they had seen. So over at Will's Eye and Children's Hospital, I was the first surgery they had performed on a newborn. I was oh, four weeks old at the time of the surgery. You were the first The very one? first one. Yeah. Whoa. Over at Chop and Will's Eye together. And they had completely done a cataract removal, but because the eye was small and they weren't sure if it was going to grow, they had actually cut, um, they only left about a half moon shape of color in my eye. So I'm legally blind in the right side. Could you come just a little bit closer to the mic? Mm -hmm. Okay. So your eyeball was smaller or do you mean like the pupil? The entire eye itself is smaller than the other one. And what do you mean they cut a half moon shape? Well, typically with a cataract surgery, they'll, they'll make a little incision next to the iris or the colored part of the eye, and they'll remove the natural lens, and they'll generally put a replacement lens in there, which is artificial. And they weren't sure if my eye was going to grow at that time. So they had decided, well, let's just allow as much light to get into the eye as possible. Okay, this is so silly right now, but I have a question for you. Yes. This must be an urban legend. This must be a wives' tale. I always heard that... The, like the part of your body that is the same from baby t- till you die one day is your eyeball. I always heard like you're born with the same size eye. Haven't you heard that before? No. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not the only one <laughs> out there. I always heard you, it doesn't grow. It's like babies have the same eyeball that they have when they're older. For the most part, um, they're generally the same. They can expand ever so slightly. I mean, if you look at people with an astigmatism, their eye shape actually changes to more of a football. So that's what actually creates that vision challenge. Instead of being nearsighted or farsighted, it's a change in the shape of their eye. So they weren't exactly sure if that was going to be the case with me. So they're like, well, let's just give her, you know, the best chance possible. And they only left like a half moon shape. So, and that's what I got. So what does it mean you have... 50% 50% vision. Uh, so can can we describe your eyes for the listeners? I Abs- hope you don't absolutely. mind. Absolutely. No, not at all. I, I find them to look really awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so like one of them is blue. So one is or- blue and the color in this one is like a blue gray. Like yeah. Really dark. And then just a larger pupil. So it literally looks like a crescent moon. That's the one, the one yes. with the darker one. Mm-hmm. And when you say 50%, like, do you mean this eye's not working, or the other two... So I'm considered, excuse me, considered legally blind in the right eye. So it's with a contact in the eye, I have what's called 2600 vision, which means I can barely make out a speed limit sign. Whoa. So um, the interesting thing is that it all depends on what the light is hitting. So if my hand's here... Uh, like I have a, for those who are listening, I have a light that's facing me. So with my hand up, I can only see the silhouette of maybe my middle finger and my pinky. Cause that's where the light's hitting. So with her, her right my- eye. Yeah. She's looking directly at her hand, mm-hmm. but you can only see the silhouette. Yeah. I can only see right here. I can't see where my thumb is at. I know where my thumb is in space, but I can't see it. So sorry for these questions. I'm very curious (laughs) and I don't know any of these answers and hopefully you have like the driving before you got here. I was like, Hmm, I wonder if she's going to bring someone with her for to drive her. I I didn't know, you know, how did, how does that work? That was actually a really interesting part of my teenage years. Um, Kind of something that dance helped me with because I don't have natural depth perception. So don't worry if you're ever in a car with me. I'm an extremely safe driver. I stop way too early. Um, So driving at night is a little bit challenging. Uh, However, I always have the GPS on now because it's telling me how far. 
And I'll definitely go by different landmarks and things like that. So whenever it's somewhere unfamiliar, I definitely have my GPS. It's it's always right there and it's helping me out. Um, I won't lie, coming here tonight, I did just a couple of circles. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty typical. That's why I said to you like the signs for re preschool because people are like, wait, we're, I don't see a house. I see a camp, you know? Yeah, so that's why um, I run on military time. My husband has me trained very well on that one. He was in the military. Um, but that's why I'm always early, just in case. I always leave myself extra time, just in case. How many kids do you have? I have two. You still manage to make it early, huh? Even with two children, I am early. I feel like I can learn so much from you, Jennifer Gordon. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to chop it all up to luck. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're born with... Um, you said, I'm sorry, it was a, cat, cat a cataract, a cataract yep. right. Um, but you had other medical issues. Are they all tied to the same thing or are these just completely separate things? So some of them are tied in together. Some of them aren't. Um, shortly, I would say cataract surgery was at four weeks old. And at two weeks, two months old, my mom had noticed that my, from the shins down, my shins were turned to the right. Wait, let me vision that. <laughs> Your shins, yes. both shins were turned the same direction? Mm -hmm. So my knees faced forward, but my shin bones and feet all faced towards the right. Whoa. So it's called windswept shins. And I had to wear those funny little shoes with the bar on the bottom, which mm. is really, really funny now that I'm a ballet dancer. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but wait, what do you mean a bar on the bottom? How's so that work? They would attach a metal bar to the bottom of my shoes, so it would, keep my, it would force my legs to face forward. Did it hurt? I don't remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> you were so young. I was so, so little. But it was gradual. They would slowly make the shoes face forward. And so would that just teach you to walk a certain way? Or did it actually, as you were growing, form your feet to face the direct, correct direction? So luckily, when you're an infant, your, your joints and bones are pretty malleable. Um, so before I could walk, they're slowly adjusting them into place. So by the time I was walking, my feet were facing forward. I didn't need the shoes anymore. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so First that was... your life was interesting. Yeah, so that was the second thing. That's the second thing. And then... Um, I'm yeah. just blown away at the fact that you're just so lively. I mean, you don't come across as someone who's been through all these things, you know? You just come across as someone who's a great teacher and just happy to be alive, no problems in the world. But meanwhile, I mean, it, 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 it says a lot about who you are as a person because there's a lot of people who are born with perfect health and, uh, you know, it's poor me all the time when meanwhile it, it seems like you've taken a different outlook on on how to see life you you can either let it bury you or you can let it empower you in in general you know you are not a victim to your life and when you you have to deal with so many things you're given so much better perspective of what actually matters so um later mm. i'm sure we'll get to to the brain surgery in a little bit that was the huge that was the huge shift. That, um, that I'm looking forward to talking yeah. about. So it's, it's given me a lot of perspective, a lot of life lessons, even from a very, very young age. And you Did know, you find yourself growing up quicker than your friends? or? Um, that's rather tricky because I didn't realize how much my brain condition had affected me at a young age with um, different types of cognition and everything else like that. Um, it gave me some really horrible experiences as far as with bullying and things like that. Um, and then I had to learn my body really well because of Ehlers-Danlos, which showed up with my brothers and I where our bodies dislocate everywhere. Wait, what was, what did you call that? Ehlers-Danlos. Ehlers-Danlos. Yes. That's you and your siblings have that. Um, 
Two, uh, myself and my two brothers. My older sister does not have it. She's the one out of four of us that lucked out. She's Your got parents? the good genes. Uh, we believe it runs on my mom's side through her father. But um, at that time that we were diagnosed, it was a new thing showing up. I'm sorry. I got to write down. That's Ehlers. Okay. Yep. Dan Danlos. Dan yep. And so this means that your joints are popping out of their sockets? Yeah, it's a connective tissue disorder. So it affects the collagen in your entire body. For the type that I have, it mainly manifests in your skin and your joints. However, it affects my heart. It affects other um, internal workings. And it has a few comorbid conditions that go with it. That's part of uh, that was my brain. I've got some skin conditions and stuff like that that go with it. So, yeah, like... Everything I'm sitting in here doing party tricks in front of. Oh, me. look at that! Oh, look at you! You're so, so bendy. I can like dislocate oh, pretty no. much everything. <laughs> Ooh, as a martial I'm, artist, I could see all blood, all kinds of stuff. But eww. it was great for wushu. So I've done martial arts as well. The wushu is that kung, kind of kung it's, fu. It's like early kung fu, yeah. Like, oh my stuff, gosh, there's stuff. so much I want to talk about with you. We need to stay on track. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely got to talk about mm -hmm. that though. Um, do. You, do you suffer from that with the joint joint dislocation, or is it just the skin and the heart? Just but so like I have basically, it has affected everywhere in my body. Um, it's very much a, a spectrum disorder. It affects each person individually. There's other um, types of the Ehlers-Danlos. So mine is um, would be considered the classical or the hypermobile type. You have the vascular type. There's um, kyphosis type, which will affect your spine more. And for me, it affects pretty much everything to a degree like one day including your bones and um not so much my bones my bones have been pretty good um but it definitely affects my joints my heart is definitely affected by it um digestive system kidneys Whoa. lots of fun things <laughs> yeah those things aren't important no, right? not at all no. <laughs> wow okay so you have that mm -hmm. is there are you doing anything to treat that or is that just you have to live with it well uh, ironically um I used to dance around my house way too much as a kid and, you know, much to the dismay of my mom who really had had enough with me at that point. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, Jennifer, if we put you in dance, are you going to stop? Yeah, sure. They created a monster. But little did we know <laughs> is that the dance had actually strengthened the muscles around my joints so much because it was weight bearing activity where you had to stabilize that it has actually kept my body so much healthier. So when I actually slowed down my dancing... I have more pain. I have more dysfunction. All of my systems start to go downhill. So I have to maintain a really active lifestyle. Like even on top of my dance classes and rehearsals, there's so much I have to do by way of physical conditioning, uh, different things with diet, nothing, nothing what, crazy. What type of stuff do you do? Do you, do you also work at a gym outside of doing so, dance? Um, I tend to, to stay away from gyms just because, um, one, they're expensive. You know, it's a, it's an expense. Yeah, you can go to you can go to a Plant Fitness for ten dollars a month. Yeah, but when you have kids and you don't know when you're actually going to have a good day, yeah. Um, no, I you, get you wind up not being there. I haven't um, been to the gym in months. Right. So it's like YouTube if workout videos. <laughs> yeah. YouTube is my jam. Um, <laughs> but no, um, it just came down to the point where I had you know I've been through physical therapy so many times. I you know remember everything with that, but through my dance training and through so much. Um, self-study with being able to teach, with learning um, kinesiology, with the way the muscles work within the body, I was able to identify more of what was affecting me in certain ways and understanding what was going on within my body. 
Um, as a dancer, you're so self-aware of the little teeny changes that happen on a daily basis. And when something feels off, you can go, okay, this feels off, but that would be because this muscle isn't working. So let me go to do this. Um, and to combat that, you know, just most of it is just weight bearing. There's very little that I do with weights because that added pressure on my joints right. tends to make, you know, it makes me, my body angry. As I get older, like less weights, more body weight stuff. Yes. For sure. Resistance bands. Mm. I have had the most success with resistance bands because it's using um, the two different sets of muscles within a certain action. So mm. really that has been the biggest benefit for me. And that and a thing called progressing, progressing ballet technique. Um, it's using these giant yoga stability balls and smaller ones. And it's all about your body learning proprioception and good muscle pathways just to how to engage those with the least amount of tension within your body. And What's it's, it's pro really proprioception? Proprioception. It's kind of like, where is your body in space? Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's um, kind I of hacking your- I love that word. Your, right? That's a good one. It's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of like- nerve hacking your body you're training your nervous system how to make your muscles work for you and that has been has made all the difference really especially when it comes to everything that went on in my head yeah <laughs> yeah literally um it's so impressive how how in tune you are with your uh, within your body uh, and everything you go through and all the physical stuff you do to overcome it it's fascinating I have to go back and ask about okay. the bullying. Mm. Um, I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, as a martial artist, I joined, started martial arts because I was getting bullied like any other kid in school. It's so crazy, right? Like those things that they say to you, like uh, those things still stick with me to this day. They do. It's so crazy. Um, yeah, so through martial arts and, and, and just working hard, I made sure to overcome my fears of people bullying me. But I just was growing up. I wasn't growing up with the kind of issues you had. What kind of bullying are we talking about? Oh, boy. Um, pretty much all of it. Uh, from the, the verbal bullying to physical bullying. So I would have people spit on me daily. Um, one of the things with Ehlers-Danlos is that you have really poor muscle tone. So, um, and then you put that you're a dancer on top of it and everybody calls you anorexic. I'm like, have you seen me eat? Please. Mm. I forever had a giant plate of food in front of me. I just could not put on weight for the life of me. Um, so I got made fun of that. It had affected the way my teeth were coming in. So, you know, pre-braces, they would make fun of that. They would make fun like of my eyes. Oh, so crooked. They would call me like rat teeth. Um, they would call me like... Um, one-eyed willy because of my eyes and a bunch no. of yeah. so I'm like, I like Goonies. Why are you doing oh, this? Oh, the ruining Goon. Now <laughs> right. that's a crime. That is a crime. Uh, how are they getting away with this? I mean, I guess maybe it was a different time. It was the eighties. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about the stuff that happened when I was in school and I ask my kids like, Hey, are there ever, you know, like fights in the hall or this or that? And they're always like, no, everything's cool. I'm like, that's oh, yeah. I guess it's better times now. It's good. Yeah. I think the, um, the last of it that the, was the worst of it was um, probably 10th and 12th grade. And it finally stopped when I turned around and punched somebody. Um, high school. High school. Wow, people were and still it was mainly doing this boys. in high school. There was, only, there was very few girls that were mean to me. Like, yeah, there was the whole mean girl situation. Um, but it was mainly boys that would do this. I was jumped by a group of girls uh, after school one day. Okay, they I want had, both of that. The boys, first of all. Yeah. Ooh, that infuriates me. I let my boys know. 
that first of all, if you ever see a girl in that situation, you stand up for her Mm -hmm. and you never ever put a girl in that situation and shame on the parents or whoever was raising these kids who are going around, not to say my kids are perfect. They might go and slip some time and and then they're going to get it, you know, Mm because I don't put up with that. Um, Especially because I know how much it affects people. It does. It really does. What were these boys doing? They were just... Oh, they were spitting on me, throwing things at me. Still in high school, they were spitting on you? Um, I had one kid literally in the middle of our study hall, teacher hearing everything, constantly just across the room saying everything. And I had literally turned around and I gave him one last threat. So, you know, the bell rings, we all go out in the hallway and I make sure to get out and trying to just get away from the classroom so I can get to the next class so I don't have to hear it anymore. Um, it was at this point, I was leaving the school early to dance professionally. I was kind of ghosting through those years anyway. I'm like, I just want to get out of here. Get through you know, and get on with what you were grace. passionate about. Right. And then he came out there and he called me a one-eyed bee. And I turned around and walked Dang. up to him and I knocked him square in the face. Oh, nice. Where in the face did you hit him? Right in the nose. Oh, nice. And, and I'm not a violent person. I'm really oh, but not. but sometimes. Just to paint a picture for y'all, I'm five foot two and like, a little pip squeak over here. It felt good. Yeah. <laughs> what was his reaction? Uh, he had a bloody nose, so he kind of ran. And the teacher, ah! said, the teacher saw it. The teacher that was in the classroom. He goes, "Well, you had it coming." <laughs> yes. So I'm like, oh, victory! First of all, teacher, where were you this whole time? That's what I need to know. For real. But second of all, isn't it funny too? Because I've come to find through the years that it's always those the, the big mouths, the one who talk a big game and are mean to people who are five foot two. Those are the ones when push comes to shove and they get blasted in the nose, you find out how tough they really are. They go down hard. They go down so quick. So quick. <laughs> <laughs> that dude still owes you an apology, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, you got jumped. Yeah, I got jumped. See, you also have kind of a big personality, don't you? I had to. Yeah. So you stand up for yourself, but, you know. Yeah. I guess. uh, I don't like to take a lot of crap. I've dealt with enough stuff. I don't need crap from other people. Seriously. You you had surgery when you were zero years old. And this 10th grade bully is, oh. Oh, yeah. So three girls had jumped me after school. Um, What was was this about? Um, cause I was dating the guy she wanted. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that, really, that was all Wait, it was. It was just, she, she wanted him. She didn't she have him? To, no. Wow. So she and two of her friends had waited for me across the street from school and they jumped me. I still have a scar on my back from where I hit the ground. They broke my nose. Yeah. Oh, that was serious. It was bad. And she just got a smack on the wrist. No. Cause we were all like 16. So that was it. And I'm like, all right, whatever. Wow. I still got the guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> wow. So you have been through some serious stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry you've been through that, by the way. Uh, I mean, we're sitting here and laughing, but in yeah, reality, like more than anything, yeah, I'm laughing, but at the same time, like, I don't really know you, but I'm also, I'm, I'm just proud of you. That, you know, Thanks. you're you're definitely a role model for your students and uh, perhaps anyone who's listening who, uh Feels like they maybe can't stand up for themselves, you know? Five foot two, <laughs> host of issues you had to worry about growing up, but you ain't afraid to turn around and blast some dude. If not recommending you punch somebody in the no, face. No, of course not. But life gets better. <laughs> but Life gets better. Yeah, it definitely does. You just got to hang on through those tough times. Um, how did you get yourself into dance? 
So, um, like I was saying before, mom got tired of me dancing around the house, so she put me in dance classes. Nice little um, studio around the corner from my house. It was Mrs. Dinshaw's studio, a lovely German lady, and she was strict, but I liked it from day one. Like it was just, it kind of felt natural to me, even though I had to, you know, um, fight for good technique and things like that. My body wasn't naturally gifted like there are for some dancers. But um, <clears throat> excuse me. It just, it felt good. It was an escape. And the beautiful thing was she closed the door and you couldn't do anything else but worry about what was going on right there. You can only do what was right there in front of you. And I'm like, oh, I really like this. So, <coughs> excuse me, I got a little tickle in my throat there. Um, my, like two years down the line, we see a flyer like up at the studio to do a nutcracker. You know, a professional company needs dancers for their nutcracker. Well, that's how professional companies make their money. So they have the kids come in. It's great. But it was, you know, I, I go and I auditioned, and I'll never forget um, what the director had said to me years down the line, but I get in. So I'm like, okay, great. And I go in, and it's every Saturday, and this lady's yelling at you for what you're doing wrong every Saturday. But I didn't mind. I don't know why I didn't mind somebody yelling at me every day. Probably because you're used to it from little jerks at school. <laughs> like, it, it wasn't like a, a yelling you're bad. It was someone you respect, probably. You probably respect somebody her. I respect. There's a difference. There's a Absolutely. big difference. But I always tell that to new teachers, you know. There's a difference between you yelling and mm -hmm. you you saying something as the kids respect you. Yes. It's a, it's a big difference. And then, um, so it gets time in the rehearsal process for the professional dancers to come in. And this is like the entire month of November. You have your Saturday rehearsals and the professionals come in to do their part. So you're running the entire show and you get to see them come in and sweat and curse and complain and fail and work and get back to it all over again. And that's what I fell in love with. I fell in love with the work. It wasn't, I had never seen a ballet. I had never even been to one at this point. Never saw it on when stage. When you were at home, what kind of dancing were you doing? Were you just hopping around? or? Uh, my mom was addicted to old movies. Still is. I still am. Um, and it was watching like the old MGM movies and musicals and stuff like that. Uh -huh. But I would just dance around my house. Okay. Um, so when I saw these dancers come in, and they're sweating and they're complaining and they're working so hard. But they make it look so good when it does work. And that's what I fell in love with. I remember being, I was like... Uh, I want to say eight or nine years old, and I turned to my mom and said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a professional ballet dancer. You wait. That's what I'm going to do. When you were training with the, uh, the German instructor, mm -hmm. was it ballet? Yes, I did um, ballet and tap for the couple of years that I was there. Hey, hey, and hey. Ready, ready for me to wow you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> shuffle, step. Shuffle, step. Oh, look at you Shuffle, go. one, two, shuffle, step. Nice. That's, what, that's all I got. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but I, I went to one tap lesson. I think my dad did uh, dentist work for a tap dancer, so he's like, I'll exchange. I don't know. <laughs> but I still remember it. Nice. So ballet and tap. Yeah, ballet the, and tap were the first couple of years, and then once I got into that nutcracker and saw it, I was like, oh, I'm sold. It's ballet all the way. So um, after, you know, just a couple years, I had turned over and started to train with the company's school. And that was it. It was like, I was like, oh, this is fast and it's difficult. And she's still yelling at me, but I still don't mind. <laughs> How did the show go? It went fantastic. Oh, it was just... It was so cool to be a part of it, just to see how all those little pieces came together and how it just made this like big masterpiece. And 
I had done maybe like two recitals at that point before Nutcracker happened. And I don't ever remember being afraid of going on stage. Even from my very first time, I don't remember really? being afraid. Yeah, it was just We like, were talking about public speaking earlier. It's different <laughs> it's different than public speaking it's for you. It's so different. It's yeah. so different. Because on stage you're allowed to become somebody else. Yeah, I know. I've had yeah. my own kind of I was a pro <laughs> wrestler, so I, I know it's like going out there and getting to be somebody else. Or even for me personally, it was like be myself times ten sometimes, you know. And it is. And it's I think because you're around the same people putting all of their vulnerabilities out there as well. Because it is. It's the most vulnerable you can be is dancing. At any time, you could totally destroy the show and the moment and completely embarrass yourself. Oh, yeah. At any time. And not to mention, not only will you embarrass yourself, you're going to ruin the experience for everyone in the audience. And you're going to piss off all the other people who work so hard who want to produce, uh, make, do the lighting, all this stuff for the show. And everyone's just watching you fall on your butt. So, yeah, there's got to be a lot of pressure. There, there is a lot of a lot of pressure, so much. But um, you can tell a lot about a person when they dance. Oh, like um, oh god! It's like don't uh, ask me to dance. I'm, I'm going to quote Barishnikov here: "Dance for me a little while, and I'll tell you all about yourself." Like I'm paraphrasing there because I know that's not verbatim. Is that from um, a movie or is that uh, a- Mikhail Barishnikov is arguably the best male dancer male ballet dancer ever from the movies or is he like just Um, from stage he was from stage he's done a couple of movies he did white nights with gregory hines and he did turning point a few other ones um and he was in sex in the city so if you watch that one he wasn't there um but he was that mr big no he was the one that she went with to france i only know mr big Big, Big. (laughs) okay Okay. um but he was just brilliant he was you know trained out of russia and with the Vaganova style and really, really hardcore training, but it was his charisma. Mm. Like he, he just that he, makes the difference, right? It makes all the difference. That's why Fred Astaire was so loved. He wasn't that brilliant of a technician of a dancer. Like um, he didn't get into a lot of the different dance films early on because he didn't have that technique. But his ballroom was fantastic because he had charisma. I never thought about dance like that because it's the exact same thing with pro wrestling. There are guys out there who can do a triple backflip into the craziest, spinniest move, and then they get a certain cheer. And then you got guys like The Rock or Hulk Hogan who can throw one punch and the people go bananas. You know, I didn't realize it was the same when it comes to dance. Yeah, even when I hire dancers today. They have to be able to tell me a story while they're dancing. They can kick the Jesus and do a million turns. I'm not impressed. Like, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Is that even something that you can teach, though? Can you teach that kind of charisma? Um, you can teach little bits of it, but it's up to the person to give in to that part of themselves. Yeah. Like, you really just have to strip away all the things that hold you back and just leave that vulnerability out there. And I have a feeling that's one of your specialties. Am I wrong in that, saying that? Uh, you're very yeah. expressive and you're very passionate, so yes. I can only assume that's how you are when you're moving on the dance floor. It, it is. There is a certain electricity that happens when you step in front of a live audience to dance. Like, you, you break the the leg, which is, like, the curtains on the side of the wings. We call that breaking the leg. So if you Wait a minute. Is that, that tied to the... Uh, yes, that is um, vaudeville. Wait, what is you breaking the leg? You break a... You step onto the stage past the curtains. So the leg is the curtain on the <sighs> side. And in vaudeville days, if you didn't get past that curtain, you didn't get paid. So to wish somebody to break a leg is hoping they get paid. <laughs> I'm learning so much on this episode. Yes. 
So like once you break the leg and you step into the light, you feel the electricity of the people in the audience. You can just, it's tangible. And like literally you just go. There's nothing else you can do but be in the moment and go. And it's just, it's so freeing. It really is just outstanding. And I've talked to several other dancers and it's almost like you don't even see the what people? You're, what, you, oh, you never see them. They're in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> literally. <laughs> They're literally in the dark. But like, you're you're so, um, a good friend of mine, Greg Admuth, put it wonderfully. It's panthering. It's um, a flow state. It's just everything flows. You're going from, you've done all the work. You've put in all the training. Your muscles remember what to do. Now you get to be an artist and let it happen. So it's, it really is just a brilliant feeling. And um, it's an addiction. <laughs> it really is like you just feed off of it so much that way you're you don't mind going back in and doing the work and sweating and complaining and you know aching and then it, put, it comes back all together all for that little bit of a flow state for those few moments on stage that really do not transfer into film <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately isn't it the whole experience too though it's the nerves beforehand oh yeah the the relief and and happiness afterwards and the people are you know they're they're hopefully telling you they had a great time and it really is and amazingly a lot of people would think that that dancers are very stuck up and self-centered and egotistical because we spend so much time in front of mirrors but um is that the is that what people usually think a lot of people do i mean i usually think that about like i don't know maybe like a model or something right and actually we are so self-critical of what we're doing when we're looking in the mirror we're analyzing every little bit of ourself like it's it's almost a neurosis um but we're actually extremely humble and that's part of the training and some of it's healthy and some of it's you know got to go out the window um, from years of training and be sh- kind of um, being in within that hierarchy in the dance world. But yeah, most of us are extremely humble and like we don't take compliments really well because we're like, oh, it could be better. It's the constant chase of perfection that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So it's such a fine line there. But yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so... I've seen dancing movies where it seems like backstage they're they're like backstabbing each other. Is that all just Hollywood nonsense? In reality, it's a team, or um. <laughs> that face is saying otherwise. It is. Um, there is some truth to that. There maybe not so much nowadays because everyone wants that like top spot, right? And that's it. Like uh, when I was younger, there was definitely a, a fair degree of sabotage. Um within certain people and some cattiness. But um, as I'm getting older and as we're training these younger generations that are coming up, the the toxic, um, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for, the constant like toxic traditions that we hold on to mm. are stopping with us. Like That's um, anything that has to deal with, like the eating disorders of the past. Like that the, was huge, right? In the 90s, really, maybe the early... really, big. I remember when I was a kid and like there was like a health coach or someone coming into the school to talk about mm-hmm. how these athletes and dancers and uh, just teenagers were like bulimic. Absolutely. That's why so many people had thought I was anorexic. I was so stinking skinny. Um, but no, like I had seen so many dancers do so many horrible things when I was younger, but all of us had vowed like we won't pass on that feeling to our students we uh, it's every body can dance not everybody every body is a dancing body regardless of your size your race your ability or lack of 
every body is a dancing body. So it that that you know that trauma stops with us, and it's it's improving. It's even stopping. You go to dance competitions, and there's such a degree of camaraderie between competitors. They're they're cheering each other on. They're telling them, "Wow, that was so awesome when you came off stage." And I'm I'm witnessing it in these kids that have so much more. Um, respect for the competitor than we you know, did back then. I think that that all t- for everyone it's better for the end goal. Like I know everyone wants that top spot, but in reality, if you're all fighting for that top stop that top spot and you're backstabbing each other and going behind each other's backs, that's going to affect your perform performance it's going to affect your performance knowing other people are doing that to you as opposed to building each other up and though you might not get that top spot because of somebody else still you're going to be better at your craft because mentally you're going to be in a better place when you're training when you're performing you know when you're in front of the people doing what you love the most you're not worrying about oh sheila she got that spot and she's the one who backstabbed me i mean Mm -hmm. you're more like thinking like all right everyone supports me let's go that's it. It's it's realizing we're all in the same boat. We're all going to get there. You know, um, I, I love the phrase that, you know, everybody's like a popcorn kernel. We all pop at different times, right? <laughs> I love Did that. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah. No, no, that made total sense. Okay. I'm going to steal that. I, I can't that claim that one. <laughs> I, I definitely saw that somewhere. Like it's popcorn. like, that's how you, you know, all children are like popcorn. They all pop at a different time. So I'm probably going to use that. Listen, let me tell you something, Jennifer. I'm going to be using that at a parent-teacher conference one day. Absolutely. I'll think about you when I do. Okay. I, 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 like I said, it's not mine, but I have definitely used that on multiple occasions and people just get it. So it's it's not a cop out or anything like that. It's not like a brush aside. It's like, hey, you got to meet them where they're at right now. And right now they haven't popped. <laughs> <laughs> True. So it's it's been wonderful to see that you know the buck stops here, the um, the backstabbing stops here, the toxic traditions stop here. It's it's fantastic. And it's you've changing. seen. I wonder how it's going to go with this new generation when they become the teachers. I mean, how's that going to go? Oh, um, I've been teaching long enough to see, um, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's only propelling things forward. Um, a lot of people who are so dedicated to, um, the tradition and the old ways, the only way, um, we're starting to see that their fear that it would be like those traditions would be lost aren't, we're still carrying on the legacies and the stories that were told to us and that we carry with us. Like I pass on the stories from Mrs. Dinshaw and my other teachers, I still pass them along. And I've heard my students teaching their now students, the same traditions, but we're holding higher values. Like, um, on the understanding, like hair and ballet has got to change. Not everybody's going to get hair? their hair, hair and ballet has got to change. Not everybody has poker straight hair and can get it into a bun. Is that what the norm is? That is the norm, is pink tights and a ballet bun. So what does someone do if they have, like, big, frizzy hair? Well, that's what we got to change. We have to make it happen. As long, uh, you know, in my personal opinion, as long as the hair is not distracting you, it's not pulling your weight in a different direction, it's not getting in your eyes when you're turning, that's you. Do you. Like, yeah, why does that matter? Why do we all have to look the same? Well, it's it's an, there is a nice uniformity to it with like the corps de ballet. You're anywhere from twelve to twenty two or twenty four dancers on a stage that have to look all the same, doing oh. the same step at the same time. Um, but if look at the pink tights, the pink tights were started because that was the closest thing to the skin tone of the dancers at the time. Dance is for every body, mm. not everybody's pink. <laughs> so yeah. we need to change that tradition. 
Like, luckily, that conversation is happening. We're starting to see the larger companies now taking this on. So now, you know, it's not such this elitist thing. When you say companies, do you mean we're seeing big ballet shows that have a mix Mm-hmm. bag in there yes absolutely it's you know um the race conversation is something that needs to be happen on needs to be happening on a global scale within these companies and there are some that are doing it there are um, a lot of companies over in europe that have made that change um while there are there are people of color in companies all over the you know the world there haven't been a lot of changes to the outdated ways of doing things and there's still um the, like back in the day, there was a thing called a brown paper bag test. If you oh could boy. match the brown paper bag, you could pass. Wait, if you could match it? Yeah, if your skin was not darker than the brown paper bag, you could pass. And that was actually a thing. Like it was a while ago, but it was a thing. Huh. And, you know, it's respecting everybody because of their talent. Yeah. And, and, and not imposing this elitist one race look you know view it's still kind of happening today it is definitely still happening really today. yeah God, it man. really does it's and hard they to learn even... to hide it well but the conversations are happening like you have uh companies like boston ballet that have made so many adjustments that are fixing things and there's other ones within the united states and around the world that are starting to but we need more people talking about it and more people making those changes and it's happening the more it happens on the studio level and in the academy level, the less dancers are likely to put up with it on the company level. And that will force those changes to happen. For people that have been um, so tenured into their companies, well, you know, we're not going to take that anymore. We're making the changes, and you can either stay in your position or we're going to find somebody to replace you. Yeah, <laughs> this is 2022, people. Yeah, it's time to get with the program. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Wow. All right. It's a wild world in dance. It's a wild dance world. It huh? is a wild dance world. Are is everyone as like charismatic as and passionate as you are? Yeah, I would like to say yes. Yeah, there's I a lot would of like you. To are, say yes. I don't mean um, you specifically, but I mean that kind of person personality trait. Yes, there's a lot of them. Yes, across the board, like all over, you know, worldwide, dancers are passionate people. You have to be passionate, and maybe a little little touched. Sick. <laughs> Touch. I was gonna say crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was going there too. Um, to to put yourself through so much for um, a career that's typically ageist. So yeah. Oh right, I know. Yeah. Like my wife and I, for a while, we were watching. Um, I think it was so you think you can dance. Where like people who are good at a specific dance style were trying different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way. There's so many dance styles out there. By the way, are you just doing ballet? Or, no, or? I do. Um, I can do everything. There's some that I should not do um, because I just don't look right doing them. But <laughs> uh, no, I, I have pretty much done so many different cultural styles of dances, so many concert styles of dances. I've tried a lot of them. I can't say all of them because they're styles I've never even heard of out there. Oh, my gosh. But yeah. yeah, like when we're watching these shows. Like I was trying to say before, you know, the ages thing, mm-hmm. it's like the the old people are like 29 years old. The cutoff is 30. It's 30. Yeah, huh? after 30, you're not allowed it, to it must be a, It must be a, I don't know, I hope it's not a looks thing. Is it a flexibility thing or is it's it? It's a tricks thing. It's all about the tricks. So when you're younger, you can do all these flashy moves. Your body will just go, and then by the time you're 30, you'll probably need a hip replacement. Um 
But that's what it is. They're more youthful. They um, are less likely to argue about pay. Oh, that's a big one, right? It's a big one. Because at 40, you've got a lot of bills to pay and possibly some kids. (laughs) Yeah, right? Um, (laughs) You've been doing it for a while. Time to get paid. But the the sad part is, um, while it's done so much for increasing the... um, the size of a dance audience it hasn't done a lot to educate the dance audience and ageism has been a thing in dance forever it really has but you know now with um more dance science behind it we're realizing hey these older dancers have actually so much more to offer mm. you can you can have more longevity in a career now too because you're not beating you know the living daylights out of your body doing the wrong thing but um i mean it's like you were saying before with the the charis- charisma and, and personality i mean you're telling a story out there. You I need mean, to have life experience to tell you have story. life experience. You got, you know, 50 years of life experience. You might be right. able to tell a hell of a story, you it know, is. with the limited movement you may have at that point. Mm-hmm. That's like uh, when you when you get to a certain point and you're able to do that, you'll notice um, in people's choreography. Like So if they start choreographing young, it's all tricks and there's constant movement. There's never a slow point. But as they start to age and their body might not let them show that choreography as much, they're finding the beauty of being still or the subtlety of a slower movement or just where do my eyes go at this point? Because people don't realize your eyes dance too. Where you're looking tells the story. So um, ballet, for example, because, you know, that's, I'm so rooted in ballet. They have a move, um, a, an arm position. So I'm going to do the position. I know y'all can't, you know, see me doing this I'll right do my now. best I'm to like, describe. Just, you know, I'm looking at the microphone like I'm talking to you. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you would extend the hand out nose height because that is where your eyes will meet. Now, if I don't look at my hand, my arm is shorter. But if I look at my hand, the energy goes out for days. My eyes just skim right past the fingertips. And that's where the energy goes. But I'm also telling with the do you audience mean for, where the, to look. for the audience, like visually, yeah. I can kind of see that. So can you do that again? Yeah, so Jennifer so is literally holding her hand out, her arm out, kind of at a like hundred degree angle with her fingers pointing out, and just kind of like looking off in the straight line down her arm. And it does. It does make a difference between. And it makes you want to look over there. It does. I'm looking (laughs) over. I'm like, what's she looking at? (laughs) And it's weird directing the audience where to look. So if I said, you know, if I went and grabbed something and I put it over there, you're going to get that story. And it's just those little things of a little turn of a chin. Because, you know, you don't just dance like a crab. You're not dancing flat. (laughs) My heel taps the floor. Um, Your eyes are telling the audience what to look at. They're expressive, so they're also telling them the emotion because nine times out of ten, they're not looking at your feet. They're looking up here because they want to know if they know Yeah, dancers are so focused on pointing toes and everything. Mm. To a guy like me, it's like, I didn't see that. You have feet. Wow, that's so interesting. I know I've seen dances before where it's just like, flippity-doo, flippity-da, and I'm just like, all right, those ones are cool. But I didn't feel anything as opposed to maybe another one where, you know, they told this story and then there's some point in the dance where, whoa, and, th- and that one move meant so much because of the story they told beforehand, uh, the moves they were doing beforehand and afterhand, uh, as opposed to these guys who are doing a million flippity doos and it's like none of it matters. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're 18. You should be able to. Great for you. Right. But, you know, that, that's natural ability. It's not hard work and real thought. It's not real. Th- oh, I mean, is, I might be wrong with yeah, that. Yeah. Um, it just, at that point, it's sport. Mm, yeah, it's less storytelling, more sport. It's, right? it's not an art at that point. You know, um, 
Even in martial arts, each movement has intention. You have an intent for that movement. Um, but when you're just doing trick after trick after trick, it's not about the journey across the floor. It's about, okay, get your leg up there. Do this turn. Ready, spot, spot, spot. Yeah, it's, it's like, what is the end goal? What are we trying to do You here? may as well be in the Olympics running track. Yeah. Okay, get to the goal. Get to the goal. You may as well, okay, get over the high bar. Okay, ready for this next flip. Okay, okay, I'm going to die. You might as well be, right? Spot. Just a, just a simple, it. just go for it kind of sport, not a real storytelling Right, and that's venture. what keeps it an art. And that, that's we are already running short on time, and I need to hear. <laughs> we haven't even talked about your friggin' brain. Oh my gosh, my brain! Can we find out? Can we backtrack from all yeah. that? Uh, why did you need them to do brain surgery? I was losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, for most people with um, the condition that I had, we've we've really developed a sense of humor around this. So I was born with a condition that I didn't know at the time. I didn't know until I uh, had turned thirty. That was when I finally started having symptoms. I have a condition called Chiari malformation. And it is literally where the cerebellar tonsils of your brain are f coming out of the hole in the bottom of your skull. Whoa. Yeah, so they are, they are herniating out of your skull. So oh, my God. Your, your brain's too big for your head. Ah, uh, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that's like when you tell me I got a big head. Big brain. I got a big brain, not a big, big head. Big brain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. A herniating yes. out of your... Yeah, so mine was an eight millimeter herniation. And... Oh, um, my God, sorry. No, Oof. it's okay. It's... It, never knew this thing existed. Okay. Most people don't. It's actually not uncommon. Most people will never have symptoms. It's one in a hundred thousand people have this. Oh, but most people don't have symptoms. Right. They might have it. I could have it. Like, and no most idea. doctors have never heard of it. Huh. So it's not a rare condition. It's just rarely diagnosed, and it's really hard to find doctors that believe you. So for most people with Ehlers-Danlos and Chiari malformation, we have to self-assess on a constant basis. We can go to the emergency room and they think we're there just seeking pills, and we're like, no, I just want you to take the pain away. Like, I want you to make sure I'm not dying this time. Has that happened to you? Uh, numerous times. Oh, wow. I was actually um, numerous, numerous times. They were thinking. Oh, and I was they think you're coming for like pain pills or right, something like that. They think like I'm that? coming for pain medication. I literally turned to them like, I can get whatever pain medication that I want. I don't want that. I just want to make sure I'm not going to die this time. Wow. Yeah. It's like, I'm sure just, they get that from people all the time. So they they do, and it's sad. That they, sucks the opioid for, crisis for someone is like nuts. you. It's rough, but um. So I after the the birth of my first daughter. You know, I started having some migraines. I'm like, okay, whatever. It just was every so often. And then we had the earthquake in 2011, and the earthquake didn't stop. It was just enough to throw off my nervous system that I constantly felt like I was in this shearing motion. So I couldn't go on elevators or escalators because I would lose. I'm sorry. I wasn't here. Do you yeah. mean literally there was an earthquake here in 2011? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This is like a major thing that, yeah. okay. Yeah, we had, um, it had cracked, like, the Washington Monument. There was some damage up here. It was a pretty significant thing for us. Yeah, okay. I probably <laughs> um, should know about this, but okay. That's all good. Um, and and what, what do you mean this earthquake didn't stop? Like, it like, really I, affected you? It had thrown off um, my equilibrium and my nervous system enough that I felt like every so often I would feel like I'm back in the earthquake. I would feel like that Whoa. shaking side to side. It wasn't like a vertigo, because vertigo is like spinning. It's like when you've had too much to drink, you go to lay down, you get the spins. That's where to go. But this was like a shearing motion going side to side. So I'm like, I don't know what this is. So I go to the doctor and they're like, oh, you have Chiari malformation. But your symptoms aren't that bad right now. So right now, all we're going to do is treat the symptoms. I'm like, well, okay. 
That works for me. You know, I don't like medication and I don't like interference. So the less you can interfere with me, the better. <laughs> um, so I'm going down, you know, down the line, down the line. And I didn't realize the things that were getting worse. So I was starting to have short-term memory loss oh boy. and uh, coordination issues. I could just be holding something and intently thinking about holding it and not dropping it, and my body would let it go. Oh, that's so um, awful. That must have been terrifying. It, it was starting to get there. Um, I was tripping my speech. I was having poor temperature temperature regulation. <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> it happens so often. <laughs> But uh, it was the memory. I was having problems with um, regulating my emotions, and it was starting to affect my heart rate. So I'm like, I didn't realize how bad it was getting. It used to be maybe I'd have one migraine a month, and it was getting to the point that I would have maybe one day without a migraine in three months. So it was just constant, constant state of migraine. It was so bad. And my, my poor daughter, I, um, my oldest was... Um, she was just about to turn six when I had my surgery, but it was I had my surgery uh, February of 2015. So wow, it's been seven this is years so now. much more recent than I was expecting yeah. you to say. I thought we were talking about childhood nope, stuff. No, um, this, this was seven the years other ago. Day. <laughs> it really was. So it was December of 2014, and I was in the middle of a rehearsal because I was still performing and taking class, and you know, as just like I am now. And my partner goes, and Jen, just all of a sudden, you weren't in my arms anymore. I had, I blacked out. I hit the ground. And you didn't know what was going on? I had no clue. And Did you wake up? I, and I, as soon as I hit the ground, like I'm laying there and he's looking at me. He goes, Jen, I tried to catch you and you went down so fast. He oh goes, I'm so God. sorry. I'm like, what happened? They're like, you just, you just blacked out. Did you know where you were? Uh, yeah, I, I was, I was you with You just it. didn't I'm know like, how you got to that spot. No idea. So, um, I'm like, okay, well that's strange. So I go on to another rehearsal where, where I'm just choreographing and I can actually feel the blackout coming. It felt like curtains coming around my face. So I just got real, real low to the floor until it passed. So I was like, well, the lower I get, if I fall, I'm not going to hurt my head. <laughs> and this was going, smart. Yeah, and it was going, it kept happening. It was going on for like a week. I'm like, okay, there's something really, really wrong going on. So um, wow. I go and, you know, I go to the, the, the emergency room. They put me in an MRI and they're like, they reconfirmed that I have the, you know, Chiari malformation. So I'm like, all right, well, maybe it's time to actually go talk to the neurosurgeon again. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, it probably means I'm closer to surgery. I had done enough research. So I go to Johns Hopkins in, you know, down in Baltimore, and they've got a really good Chiari clinic down there. And I bring all of my, my tests and everything else that, that clear this. And this man walks into this exam room with a God complex. Tries to tell me, you don't have Chiari malformation. It's all in your head. Go find a magic pill to fix you. He stops talking to me and is only talking to my husband. I was so mad. I stood up as a Chris, get me out of here before they have to call the cops on me. <laughs> so I, I could not get out of this building fast. I'm like, you actually, I'm shaking you here. Travel to that? I traveled to Baltimore for this man to tell me that it was all in my head. Oh, I'm getting anxiety hearing the story. I'm like shaking because it still makes me angry to this day because I know how many people have passed away from this condition because a doctor didn't believe them. And this is, he was supposed to be the number three top doc in the United States for this condition. Really? Yes. How does um, this happen? Why did he just jump to that conclusion? Because it wasn't a severe enough case for him. But what he neglected to do was order the one additional test that I needed. I went back to my original neurosurgeon who diagnosed me had moved to Manhattan. I go to Manhattan. 
he runs the test and finds out that, sorry, four areas of my brain were drying out. I was dying. So does this doctor, I need to know, does this doctor that still is in practice, does he know that you, that he doesn't know that what the truth was and that he was totally off? He, he probably knows that he was wrong telling me that, but he did not know that my air, that my CSF fluid was blocked in all those areas because he didn't get the test. But let me tell you, I've told every other patient that wanted to go to him not to go. <laughs> like, just, no, you, he's not your guy. He's not the person oh for gosh. you. Um, but, yeah, they found that four areas of my brain were not getting the CSF fluid. They were drying out, and I was, in fact, dying. So uh, more research. I found another doctor. Oh, she was at University of Penn at the time. I go in there, and she's like, you know, I looked at all your tests, and she goes, I don't like to perform brain surgery. If I can avoid it, I will. She goes, but you need to have this. So go home, get everything to, in order, and call me back, and we'll schedule this. I'm like, oh, okay. And this was January 2015. And I'm like, sure. I'm like, so, t- you know, two weeks goes by. She goes, Jennifer, you didn't call me. I'm like, oh, well, I thought we could wait till June because, you know, recital's over in June. My daughter will be out of kindergarten. Oh, and I'll have, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to plan it so it works for everybody. I'm like, I'll be able to heal and get back to work. I, I'm not a, I'm not a sit still kind of person. I'm on the go all the time. I'm burning the candle at every side. And you know. <laughs> um, she goes, Jen, you're not going to make it to June. You need to have the surgery by the end of February. Whoa. I'm like, are you serious? This oh was the God. first week of February. She's like, I am very serious. If you want to see your daughter grow up, you need to have surgery. Oh, man, that's hard to hear. So three weeks later, I Oof. went in. It was, you know, February 27th, 2015. And so that was my my cow zipperversary. <laughs> so when I say I'm part cow, I literally mean it. Like they put a piece of cow. There's on a you. piece of cow heart on the lining of my brain. Oh, so you uh-huh. have like two hearts. Yeah, two hearts. <laughs> I am like a walking Chick Fil A. <laughs> oh, that's so silly! I yep. can't believe this. Oh my yes. gosh! Wow, shame on that doctor. Yep. Shame on those people who picked on you. And good for you, because you are kicking some ass. How you feel teaching these kids? Uh, it's, you know, I, I feel fantastic. I feel like the, the experience has enriched um, everything that I do. But the biggest takeaway from it, um, I wound up with chemical meningitis afterwards. Had to relearn how to stand. Oh, of had course to, you did. Right? Um, I had so much brain damage from um, the meningitis that I had to relearn how to have conversations with people and regulate my speech. And the lessons learned from that, I actually turned into a program for people with dementia. I saw that you were doing um, Hope Dances for Dementia. Yes. So uh, it is currently considered an enrichment program, but we are in the works to make it a full-blown therapy program that brings dance to assisted living and soon within the community for people living with dementia. Oh, wow. And it's... It's nothing short of miraculous every time I go in. Um, we're actually, we kick back off again tomorrow. It is exactly two years since we had to leave the assisted living facilities because of COVID, and we go back tomorrow for the first time. Wow. I'm so oh, excited. Oh, boy, do they need it. Oh, I need it. Yeah, we all, <laughs> it, yeah, no doubt. It's, it's the constant reality check that no matter how bad your day is going and no matter what's going on in your life that's kind of crappy, you go in there for an hour and you dance and you have music with these people. And it's not just ballet. It's music that they would have listened to when they were teenagers. And to see see the joy come to them. And um, there's this, you know several different steps to the program that we have and different ways of tracking um, how they're interacting, when they're interacting, which music is there, 
Um, and you know, what is the consistency? It's just brilliant. Every single time. It's just so brilliant. God, to go it doesn't in. just sound brilliant. The fact that you're going to these people who need this and I don't know what it is, but the fact that you just told me that they get to hear the songs that, I mean, who doesn't love the songs they listen to in high school, you know? Right. And that they're, they're getting to dance to these things at, at this stage in their life. Mm-hmm. It almost makes me emotional. That's really it, special. It does. Especially, um, I usually go in with an assistant. So um, these songs are going to evoke a memory for them. And if they're going to share that memory, I want to be there to listen. So the other person will continue the movement with everybody else, and you're allowing that person the chance to recall that what that song meant to them or what they used to do during that time. So it's it's um, over. T- it's it's such a, a horrible disease. Dementia is. It, it's so sad. Oh, for the family, for everyone. especially for the family. It's it's really horrible, and even for their caregivers, they over time. Mm. Um, and it's not to their fault. It's just a way of them it's protecting exhausting. themselves psychologically. They they have parts of their emotion that they have to turn off. And yeah. that's the one thing that I promised I would never do with the program. As I will never lose the human aspect no matter how much it breaks my heart. I, like, I've been around and lost so many people in the program. It's like I go in and I spend time with my grandparents all the time. That's what it feels like. And every time one of them moves on, it's like you're losing a grandparent. But I refuse to not get attached to these people because they need it. Most of the time they're not getting that socialization. And if I could just give that to them for that one hour, that is all the difference in their quality of life for whatever time they have left. <laughs> we have to get to the chat pack. We are okay. behind schedule. I just got to tell you that I knew I'm not just blowing smoke. I knew when you came in here that you were going to have an interesting story and that you were going to be awesome talking about dance, but I've been really moved by this conversation. I mean, Stuff that you do and the the passion you do it with, it just, I've really been moved. I just want to say that. It's really wonderful what you do. Thank you. And um, I can't dance. Well, everybody can dance. Well, I mean, I dance to to my my Nintendo Switch dance game. Yeah, we get a little funky up there. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I don't know if uh, if there's ever a way, uh, time or place, partner up, me help you, whatever, you help us. Um, it seems like we're into helping kids and just mm-hmm. helping people. So let's uh, put that out into the universe. Absolutely. Hey, uh, we only have time for one, so oh. choose wisely. If you don't know, this is the chat pack. You point okay. to one of these, and I'll read it to you. That one. All right. Here we go. <laughs> if you could be one inch tall for just a day, you're only one inch for a day, what specific place, let's be specific, would you like to explore the most? Oh, oh man, what a superpower. Man. So I'm kind of a history nerd. Me too. Um, we need fir- like 15 more podcasts. Yes, we do. Um, if I wasn't a dancer, I, I'd be an Egyptologist. Like I am a sucker for history. I would have to go around like one of the, the pyramids. I'd have to go. Yeah, or like... Yeah, <laughs> one of those. I'm not going to go and show you all my like history tattoos and everything, but like I'm just saying. I um yeah. That's a great answer. Straight down, find those tunnels in the Pyramid of Giza, trying to find. Right, me like a, I would uncover spots that they'd never not found yet. Like oh my gosh, so such fun. a good answer, such a good answer. All right. That was awesome. Okay. If, the, <laughs> if there's anyone out there in the world that you would like to give a shout out to, I don't know if they'll be listening or not, but. Go ahead, give them a shout out. 
All right. Um, shout outs into the universe is definitely my husband. He's my hero. He's my rock. Um, for military everything that, man. My military man. That's from day one. He's been my hero. And there hasn't like, besides him and my mom. That's. But everything that he stood by, I mean, those are your ride or dies right there. That's absolutely, absolutely. And my sister. We've we've gotten really close over the past couple (laughs) years. Our love language is TikTok. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it definitely has to be my husband. He's an incredible person, and he doesn't take enough credit. What's his name? Chris Gordon. Shout out to you, Chris Gordon. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, I had so much fun with this. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Jennifer. Gordon.